Hello, everybody. This is Noah, and welcome to Change Talk, a podcast where I have conversations with people who are thinking about change and are open to talking about it. In this week's episode, I speak with Anna Sherman, the first mental health professional on our show. Anna is a registered psychotherapist, maternal mental health practitioner, and clinical supervisor working with individuals, couples, and families. She enjoys blogging and lecturing on topics related to mental health, wellness, and relationships. Anna came on to Change Talk to discuss with me her issues around free time and sleep time, and how she can have a better relationship with her bedtime routine. And while we have you here, if you like what you're hearing on this podcast, please take a moment to rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. This can make a huge difference in expanding Change Talk's reach. And if you really like what you're hearing, consider donating to our tip jar, which can be found by following the link at the bottom of our show notes. We really, really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Enjoy. And may Anna's Change Talk, in some small way, inspire your own. Please note that this podcast is not therapy. Please seek professional help if needed. Hello, everybody. Believe it or not, this is the first episode with another therapist. Welcome, Anna, to our podcast. Thank you. So this episode is taking place a few days after the passing of one of my most inspirational Jewish teachers and teachers of, of, of life, uh, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, Harav Yaakov Tzvi ben David Aryeh, Satsal, may his memory be for a blessing, may his soul have an aliyah, and may this podcast in some small way be dedicated to the kind of person that he was. I, I can't think of an example in, there isn't an example in the 21st century of a person who was speaking on the grand stage as a Jew and was on equal footing and equal playing field to great leaders in different fields, whether it was economics, philosophy, psychology, all the sciences, medicine, history, you name it. Rabbi Sachs was the voice of Judaism, the chief rabbi of the United Kingdom, but also, as he mentioned, I believe, I don't want to quote him, but as everybody would say for him, chief rabbi of the world. a person who understood what it means to be a Jew, what it means to be a blessing to the world, to bring the values and wisdom and sense of purpose and meaning that the Jewish people have to offer on the conversation to humanity. So I'm deeply, deeply connected to him and uh, very sad about it. And I'm sure Anna also has a connection with Rabbi Sachs. And so I just wanted to add that to the beginning of this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Very, very tremendous, tremendous loss for the world. Um, And actually, um, I mean, I I was a big follower of of him and his words and his teachings, but actually, like, I would just hear him um, and his name come up 
in so many different contexts and not even just with Jewish people, which really says a lot because he really spoke to humanity in general and just um, finding truth. I think finding truth and having faith in humanity and finding a really healthy balance um, in the way you live your life and, um, and the way you connect to your creator, it is rare to find somebody um, with such greatness who touches so many people on such a deep level. And um, it just seems to me like with his loss, it's just coming out how deeply connected so many individuals felt to him and how much of a renewed sense of faith so many people had uh, in, in their Judaism just from listening to him. From Rabbi Sachs, you can learn that one person can really, really, truly not in some fluffy way, make a real difference. Um, and I know we're not talking about him directly, but I highly encourage people to go check him out. He had a TED Talk, Facing the, the Future Together Without Fear. He just came out with a mm -hmm. book called Morality, Restoring the Common Good in Divided Times. A, a, big, a big figure who literally did make a massive difference with his ideas, and not only his ideas abstractly, but how he lived them out. He dealt with and, and was connected to some of the greatest religious leaders of all religions. And what is so fascinating uh, at the same time and also deeply real is he was a father. He cared so much to be a father. He didn't become so high-minded and so much of a public figure that he forgot about what it means to be a parent. He was a parent and a grandfather and deeply committed to that. And so you see what greatness can be is that you can have a big impact on the grand stage, but not forget that you have a family. And, um, and so either way, I'm inspired by him. I wish I could continue to be inspired by him. There is an unbelievable database. So people check out Rabbi Sachs and may his memory be for a blessing. He lived by the words that he coined to be true to your faith and to be a blessing to others regardless of their faith. So thanks, thanks Anna, for, for listening to that and uh, for sharing some of your thoughts. I want to get into who, who you are, how you spend your time, and what's meaningful for you. Sure. Okay, so yes, my name is Anna Sharman. I'm a registered psychotherapist of Ontario, uh, a certified maternal mental health practitioner, and a clinical supervisor for qualifying psychotherapists in the field. Um, I'm a mother of twin girls and a very devoted wife to my husband, Mark, of 10 years. Um, and um, yes, and uh, I am coping with this pandemic as everyone else is yeah. <laughs> at this time. But I have to say uh, the practice has been extremely busy yeah. uh, during this time. A lot of people uh, also struggling to cope. Yeah. So tell us about what it's like to be a psychotherapist. I don't know if people have, other than the fact that they may go see them, they don't really, it's a really weird relationship we have with people because people feel very close to us. And in fact, I can feel close to the people that I work with, but they have no idea who I am. I mean, yeah. they know me a little bit, but it's mm -hmm. a very strange relationship. Do you want to talk a little bit about what it's like to be a psychotherapist for you? Sure. Um, so yeah, it is kind of that funny balance between, you know, being exposed, constantly being exposed to people's uh, deeply private and internal worlds where their innermost thoughts and fears and 
traumas and secrets are, are coming out to you on a daily basis, multiple times a day often. And, and, and how many times have I heard the line like, I've never told this to anyone. You're the first person I've told this to. Um, and, uh, and on the other hand, it's a, it's a professional relationship where I'm not sharing a whole lot about myself. <laughs> Um, right. I'm, I'm there to listen. I'm there to listen and I'm there to support and provide guidance and tools and, and help people process. Yeah. How did you decide that this was type of thing that you wanted to do? So I, uh, like most therapists, <laughs> I would have to say, I definitely had some rough um, life challenges of my own when I was a little bit younger and I, uh, and then, and I did a tremendous amount of work to overcome, um, my anxieties, my PTSD, um, my, the trauma that I had experienced. And then I had reached a really good point in my life where things really settled down and I was finding my way. And I just started finding that, um, kind of like out of, out of nowhere, out of the blue, people were starting to reach out to me, like friends, of course, who were also struggling, but then friends of friends or just like, not even just like sort of acquaintances who I kind of knew or I would meet like once and they would get a sense of what I was all about or they had heard through people that I, you know, been through some, some trauma and they were reaching out to me and just saying like, well, I'm going through this and I wanted to know if, if I could you know, speak to you or, or get some support. And I was, I was just finding I was doing this all the time. Like I was, I was happy to help, but it was just happening a lot. Right. And, um, and then I realized like, you know, maybe, maybe there's something to this. Maybe I actually, I'm really good at this, but I'm not, you know, I have no master's degree in mental health. Um, and then I realized like, you know, it's actually, it actually takes a lot of energy to always be, you know, helping people and, and giving um, your emotional energy, you know, to listening to everybody's stories and providing support. Um, and I thought, you know, maybe this is sort of like a, a sign that this should be a career for me. And one thing led to another. Before you know it, I was in a master's program and and then I was graduating and the rest is history. <laughs> and I've never looked back. It, it really is the perfect field for me, the perfect job, the, the perfect situation. Um, it's not always perfect. I have to definitely make an effort to take care of myself because thank God I, yeah. I, I am blessed with a very thriving and busy practice. It's a very big blessing. It's I, obviously it's a result of my tremendous hard work and my skill, but, but uh, I do love it. And for anyone who's in the field uh, or, you know, thinking of going to the field, it's important to understand that um, along with the commitment to your clients and your students and whoever else you're working with, you, there's, it, there's also tremendous commitment to yourself because if you're not taken care of, then you, you can't be taking care of everybody else. Right. And so you have, a, you took both the work that you have done to overcome some of your mental health struggles and as well as just noticing what people around you are, are looking for you for and say, Hey, I got to do this more formally. Mm -hmm. and yes. And I think, you know, also safe to say that, and I think many people in, in the field can relate, but the more I, I got deeper and deeper into my studies and the more I specialized, because most therapists do specialize a number of times afterwards, but the more I specialized and the more skills that I built, the more deeply I was starting to understand um, human nature and behaviors of other people. 
and the more you know mental health just started universally started making sense to me about you know why things unfold the way they do why i am triggered by certain things why other people behave the way that they do and yeah and just why people's lives sort of unfold in certain patterns so what are some of your specializations that you have focused more in depth of? I think you mentioned it a little bit at the beginning, but just tell us a little bit about the populations that you work with. Okay, so um, good question. So I do see, I see individuals um, between the ages of approximately 18 to 40-ish. I will make exceptions. Yeah. Um, mostly dealing with anxiety, depression, um, issues from their families of origin, uh, relationship issues, stress in the workplace, um, you know, career struggles, uh, self-esteem issues, um, social anxiety, and then also the population that is on the spectrum, the autistic spectrum, like high functioning autistic spectrum. Um, and many of them don't necessarily know that they have it or they only found out recently that this is what like that they've got a diagnosis. Okay. Then couples, um, and I have a few specializations in couples work. So I'm trained in EFT, which is emotionally focused therapy, uh, the Gottman method, which I encourage everybody to check out the four horsemen of the apocalypse. It's, and I use psychodynamic therapy and CBT with um, both individuals and couples. And then I do see families, uh, many adult children and their parents who are just navigating um, certain communication challenges, um, boundaries, setting healthy boundaries, um, working through past traumas, uh, grandchildren, stuff like that. And then I have a specialization in maternal mental health, which refers to expectant and new mothers with babies who are struggling with perinatal um, depression and anxiety, postpartum, uh, also fathers who have postpartum depression, which is, is actually very common and, and it's not really spoken about. Mm. and uh, pregnancy loss and infertility. Wow, so there's a lot. That's a yeah, whole. yeah. And then I and then uh, what I what I would say is my treat. What I call is my treat is now that I I went, now that I have my qualifications to be a supervisor, I get to work with qualifying psychotherapists and students, which I actually love because it's a completely different shift when I get yeah, to it's not listen to everybody else's. <laughs> um, cases and hear what they're doing and that's my treat is there any particular area that you want to talk a little bit more about that has been emerging as an as an issue you talked about postpartum you talked about family work you talked about couples work Mm -hmm. do you is there any Mm -hmm. one particular that you feel is just an issue that is coming up a lot an issue that you want to share with others that you feel isn't shared enough about hmm there's a lot actually so a recent issue that just sort of exploded on my instagram um is the concept of uh religious extremism and um how often people who come to to their faith on their own and and sort of take it very to a very extreme point often that comes from unresolved trauma um, from people's past or, or just unresolved mental health issues, issues with families of origin, self-esteem. And um, there's not, again, like I say on my page, there's nothing wrong with an extreme way of life if that works for you. And um, an extreme religious way of life 
it can work for some people and if they want to move to a community where that works for them and um and conduct their lives in that way and they're they're, they're married to somebody who is on board with that then that's you know it's totally not my business um that's great <laughs> as long as they're happy just to clarify we're not talking about religious extremism other extremisms mm -hmm. that more on the spectrum of violence uh, right right no so i'm not referring people to that they choose a a radically different lifestyle than they had before which takes yes. them from one end of the spectrum to another so right exactly and and so what i'm what i'm finding is that this is actually more common than we than we realize and it's basically not really talked about but it is plaguing many individuals and their families um right now what, because what does it look like what what is happening what does it look like so basically what we're, we're what what i'm referring to is very often people with unresolved pasts. So unresolved trauma, people who are in a very vulnerable state and it's very difficult for them. It, it doesn't even have to be trauma. It can just be somebody who grew up without, uh, with feeling like without a place. Um, so it could be somebody who's struggling with codependency, somebody who was never really recognized, um, somebody who's parents or family of origin were not available to them or maybe they were bullied as a younger kid and that stuck with them and they've developed these sort of limiting core beliefs about themselves but instead of doing what what is a, like scary but necessary which is like really going internally and figuring out well what you know what is it that i'm dealing with and how can i find the right answers in terms of you know finding a healing path for myself and um uncovering these these limiting core beliefs that I, I've developed about myself, they, because they're in a vulnerable state, they find these opportunities to join very quickly, take on this very extreme way of life of like filling your whole life with religion and religious activities to the point where like you're busy all the time with the religious activities and automatically you're part of a very um, busy community where there's always something to be a part of you're just constantly, constantly busy with religion and it's taking over your whole life, but it, it gives you kind of like a sense of belonging and identity and you're part of this group of other very extreme religious people now. And it's making it on the surface, it can make you feel like very accomplished. And the concept of being busy all the time is also a trauma response, not just to do with religion, but the concept of like the need to be busy all the time, be occupied and busy with whatever it is, whether it's work or, or having like tons and tons of kids and the, keeping you busy all the time, that can also be a trauma response because then it forces you to like not Slow focus down. on your trauma. It forces you to be busy all the time. You're constantly, constantly distracted. The problem is that whether it's religious extremism that you decide to be busy with all the time or work, you decide to be a workaholic and that's busy all the time. Once you decide to deal with your deal, I say deal in quotation mark, deal with your trauma this way, it's like a constant, it's like a chronic distraction, um, but it doesn't make the trauma or the limiting core beliefs go away. It's not a healing process. It sure. is a constant distraction and the trauma will leak out in other ways in your life. So, mm -hmm. so you can see many, many people who have taken on this extreme way of life. And at the beginning, it's all very exciting and new and wow and like wow this is my answer and then the trauma will continue to leak out in other ways it's not a solution in the in the and that's not to say again we're, we're not saying people choose various lifestyles whether it's quote unquote on the 
further right end of a religious spectrum or not, it's, it's all about why that person has chosen to, to do that. And what you're talking about, and just to clarify for everybody, core beliefs come from the cognitive behavioral literature on sort of deep-rooted uh, ways that we have a default lens within ourselves to how we see ourselves. So examples like people end up having core beliefs about themselves that generalize such as I am worthless, I'm incompetent, I'm bad, I'm defective. And that core belief then animates all of their interactions in the world. They see the world through that. And so what you're talking about is that people get a temporary lift. Let's say they meet someone very charismatic or they connect and they get all the answers very fast without a lot of critical thinking, without a lot of integration and slow moving. All of a sudden those core beliefs, I'm defective, I'm worthless, become I am supremely great, I am worthy beyond measure. Yeah. And it's, it's empowering and it's enlightening and it, it fills up the person. But sometimes the difficulty can be both that they haven't dealt with whatever issues are going on that aren't related to whether or not they're religious or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and, that's a, and, that's, and that's something to talk about in and of itself. Um, and I, I, I hear that. I think that that is, a, that that is a, a concern. And not only that, what's more difficult is who do you isolate or alienate yourself from? So when exactly. you choose a different lifestyle, so you, we are rooted in, 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 in worlds and families. And for the mass majority, the most part, I'm not generalizing to everybody, it is unhealthy to be unrooted from people in your life that are the people that you care about the most. And it's not to say that when you move to those spectrums, you get disconnected. Not everybody does. People do great things to be reconnected. But there is a, a danger if people become too unrooted and they're disconnect from the world that they come from completely. Yeah, and many times people do, you know, they, they lose friendships, they distance themselves from the people they, they love and who love them, from family members, from, you know, from neighbors. Um, because they, it's, like, it's like this process of just sort of like becoming a new person and, and feeling like, well, they won't understand me you know, or they won't understand my new values and my new lifestyle when really like, <laughs> like Rabbi Sachs would, you know, talk about this a lot when really it can be incorporated into your life, you know, in, in a very balanced way, you know, and the people who love you will generally accept you for, you know, for the values that, that you choose to, to incorporate into your life as long as they're healthy and they're working for you. But um, this, this, this topic just like literally exploded on my page. Mm-hmm. What are some solutions and people, how, how do you help people navigate? Maybe they become one extreme and then they don't know how to reintegrate everything else. To me also the saddest part, which is, is not uncommon at all is when they, they take one extreme and it will go on for, you know, a year or two years, five years, maybe. And it's like, it's not sustainable for them. So then instead of figuring out, a way to live a religious life in a balanced way, they'll just abandon the whole thing. They've abandoned the community. They've abandoned, you know, their place of worship, religious education. Does that happen because the high wears off? Not the high, but the experience of connection, symmetry, um, uplifting from all the sort of rough core beliefs, like it sort of starts to come right back to where they were? wasn't what they thought it was, which is like, it's not a, it's not a be all and end all solution to feeling better. You know, religion and, and faith are beautiful 
are beautiful things, beautiful concepts, and they can add so much richness to your life, but they're not solutions to everything. And I think that's the misunderstanding that a lot of people have is that, you know, just because you've found religion and it's beautiful and you want to incorporate it into your life, go for it. But, you know, it's not going to erase your past and it's not going to erase your trauma and your core beliefs and therapy is still a really important part of that. We're born into a particular world, to a particular place. We're connected to certain people. And that's not an accident. That's not an accident. And of course, there are exceptions to everything. I'm not trying to generalize. But the places that we come from, the people that we're connected to, the family that we are born into, yes, some people choose the solution to avoid the conflict, to move away from the conflict. But who knows that there's a reason why you are in the place that you are, that you grew up the way that you did, you grew up with the family that you did, the world that you did, the perspective that you did, the talents, the abilities that you have. If you're running away from things in your life because they're difficult to deal with, there's work to do. And you can be a better person by dealing with your problems. Um, and I think that regardless of whether it's religious extreme or any kind, just how you isolate yourself from other people because you don't want to deal with things or you move away from yourself because you don't want to deal with things. It's a band-aid in many respects. And so it seems like you're helping yeah. people unravel some of that. Yeah. Yep. Just gain a deeper understanding, a sense of, um, you know, what it is that they're searching for navigate right. and navigating the right way you know to go about it for themselves and often for their families for their children right again you share with us a little bit about the world of therapy that you're involved in as well as the voice that you have in trying to help people live more balanced religious lives so thank you so much for sharing so let's get into change talk talk to me about what's on your mind about change and before we move on to the change talk have you lost track of the hours you lose browsing and scrolling? Most of us have a hard time answering that question truthfully. Our suggestion? Utilize technology to help conquer technology. Focus Me is the productivity app that forces you to focus. The fully customizable tool blocks digital temptations, giving you countless hours of your life back by blocking selected keyword searches, desktop apps, and websites. The best part about it? It is unbeatable, uncheatable, unworkaroundable. I personally have been using it successfully for almost two years now. To join me, go to focusme.com slash changetalk for a 20% discount off your first payment. And if you are a student, go to focusme.com slash request dash educational dash discount to request an additional 30% off your first purchase. And now on to the change talk. Okay, so obviously there's a lot on my mind that I feel needs to be changed. But if you're talking about me personally, I'd say like the biggest thing that probably is in my control that needs to be worked on is going to bed at a more reasonable hour because I'm terrible at that. Listen, I know people who are night owls and they're like partying until three in the morning. That, that's not me at all. <laughs> um, I'm not that kind of night owl, but I would say for me, like where I really feel it the next day where like, I know, oh, it's going to be a bad day and I've got a headache. Um, I would say 1am is like big mistake. Is that a regular time to go to sleep 1am? So normally not because I know I'll pay for it big time the next day, but I would say like 
it's not uncommon for me to get to bed around 12. And that's also, that's too late for somebody with my, um, I, ha I struggle with an autoimmune condition. Um, I have twin girls and they take a lot of my energy. I have a very thriving practice and that takes a lot of my energy. I have a home, I'm cooking meals all the time. Somebody who is, you know, busy with all these things should not be going to bed at, at 12 midnight. Right. And is that because, like, what time do you usually wake up? Seven. Okay. So you get a seven yeah. hour sleep. Yeah. That sounds nice. Yeah, it's bit. not bad. It's not bad. But for me, I should probably be getting more. I've struggled for years with, um, with an autoimmune, with actually it's multiple autoimmune conditions because the way autoimmune works is that you have autoimmune antibodies, which are antibodies that cause your body to fight against itself. And then as a result, you can develop one or more conditions as a result of it. So I started with some very small ones when I was younger, like little allergy things and little reaction things. And as I got older and especially um, having kids changed, like my body went wacko. Um, yeah. Then I got some, a bunch more surprises after that, like a new thing and another new thing and another, another new thing. And there's still always new things coming up. So it's not been easy. And from the outside, people don't know that I struggle with chronic illness because I look healthy and I look normal. And at times when I'm having a flare up and I, my weight drops like very rapidly, uh, which is, is not a good thing. People will be, people who don't know me will be like, wow, you look so good. Have you been dieting? Yeah. Like, no, I've been ill, but thank you. I've been having a flare up, but thank you. So, so somebody like that, um, like myself, and, and that's also, you know, the, this other misunderstanding that people have is like, why I only have my twins and I don't have more. And it's, it's not, Certainly not because I didn't want more. Certainly not because we didn't try to have more. We tried very hard, um, but my body just rejected it and said, no, you know, it's not, it's not going to work. Yeah. So there were a lot of, I, I guess there were a lot of years where I, I was in denial about my state of health and just kind of saying like, you know, it's not a big deal. I'm normal and I should be able to have more children and I should be able to stay up late and I should be able to eat whatever I want because, you know, what's the big deal? Lots of people have the allergy. There are lots of people have this, whatever. And the reality is that like, I was, I really was, was in serious denial about that, that um, I, I really just needed to accept the state of my health the way it is. And um, I am fortunate that I actually am able to be healthy most of the time if I am very diligent, like militant about my lifestyle, but, um, but, but my body is not built like the average person. I have to listen to it. And it, it takes a lot of discipline and sacrifice and I'm not able to eat whatever I want far from it. Uh, uh, you know, if I want to feel normal, I have to eat a very, very, very restricted diet and I'm not able to have kids like everybody else. My body doesn't work that way. Um, and I need my rest. And if I don't have my rest, I fall ill. Yeah. Unlike, unlike most people where they can push it and, and they can keep going. And when, and when I push it, um, I actually get sick and then I'm forced to rest and I'm forced to make time for my illness. So I feel like the staying up late is kind of like, because there's no such thing for me as emotional eating. So there's no such thing like, oh, you know, I've had a stressful day. I'm just going to dig into the ice cream. That, that does not exist because ice cream is not in my vocabulary. If I, if I eat ice cream, I'll be sick for over a month. 
That's how, that's how bad it is. It's very unforgiving. It's very it, unforgiving. unforgiving. If I have pizza, that's worse because that's gluten. So that, that, oh will, that will be, any kind of gluten will cause a chain reaction. So I'll have a, a tremendous flare up. I'll be in horrible pain for like a couple of days. It will take about six weeks to get over that. And then my immune system breaks down from the flare up. And then I usually get some sort of virus or oh. some other kind of thing. So it's like, we're talking like months of like recovery just from eating a treat. <laughs> so it's like, so those kind of things like emotional eating, treating myself, going up for ice cream, they're not in my vocabulary, any vocabulary anymore. For somebody with um, a digestive illness, I, I mean, it's not everyone treats it this way, but um, for somebody with a di digestive illness or certain autoimmune conditions where they really need to be militant about what they eat, um, food is fuel. It's like filling up your car. So it's, it's like, it's 9am or like it's 8am and I need fuel so that I can last through the morning. So it's like, what, well, what can I feed my body with? That's going to give me energy, nutrients. That's a balance. That's going to give me protein. That's going to get my blood sugar up a little bit. And I do enjoy what I eat because I make foods that are flavorful and healthy and they nourish my body, but it's not, there's no such thing as just like treating myself on food. Right. You know, it's there for a purpose. Like you eat to live basically. Right. That's the philosophy. And if you want to feel your best, that's a philosophy that you kind of need to take on that you need to, co to commit to. Same with exercise. Exercise is not like, Oh, I feel, I just feel like going for a run today. No, it's like, if I don't go for a run and if I don't get my heart rate up three, four times a week, I'm not well. And my digestion, my digestion is feeling it. So it's like, no, it's like you wake up, you're tired. So what you still need to exercise or you're not going to feel well. So your body's forcing you to eat well, work out and sleep well in a way that most people want to do these things, but oftentimes do not experience, thankfully, but your body doesn't let you go against your values in those areas. Meaning most people want to eat well, sleep well, do all these things, but there's no feedback that says, oh, that was bad that you did that for the most part. Maybe yeah, people will right, exactly. It's just like, oh, I messed up. Tomorrow's another day. <laughs> and, and we're luck, so lucky to have that. You are so regimented. Um, yeah, that's tough. That's it's very, it's very tough. I, and I was actually just yesterday, I had a, I had a really nice couple and the husband str struggles with a chronic illness as well. And um, what I was saying to him is that it actually, it, it forces you to take a step back actually, and kind of get your priorities seriously in order and almost like be more grateful for a lot of what life is offering you because uh, for a person without chronic illness, let's say, or without digestive illness, it's like, you might go to a restaurant and be like, oh, well, like, you know, they don't have my favorite thing. Well, I was really in the mood for a panini and they don't have it. I don't even know what I want to eat now, you know, or I'm, <laughs> I'm just having this craving for pizza or whatever. And for me, it's like we go to someone's house and there's like a thing on the table that I can have. I'm like, whoa, there's like food here I can eat. That's amazing. Wow. And my husband calls it Anna friendly food because there's so many foods they can't eat that if there's like something I can eat there, it's like, oh, wow, there's something Anna friendly. Like, that's amazing. Or so for yeah. 
you know, same thing, like when I meet some of these women in the community where for them, it's like, well, I really wanted like seven kids. I wanted four boys and three girls. And like, I wanted like boy, girl, boy, girl. And like, I didn't want to be pregnant during my brother's wedding because I didn't want to look bad in my gown. For most people, it's like, oh, like however many kids you want to have, you can just have, or you want to get pregnant. For me, it's like, oh, wow. Like I actually have two kids. That's amazing that my body actually produced two children. That's a miracle. Right. And I need to be grateful for that, that I actually was able to have children of my own. And for right. people to, for most people to understand that that's like a really foreign concept. So the staying up late is like, to me, that's like my treat. Yeah, that's your treat. So that's my treat. How, why do you want to take that away from you? Because I feel like crap the next day. Right. And I'll tell you, the hardest part is, is yeah. that uh, I had this, I had this happening a few times where I'd be like, you know what? No, I'm going to stay up late. I'm going to do my journaling or I'm going to watch Fauda, which I really like, or Stiesel, which I really, really love. And then, you know, next day, whatever, I'll, I'll just deal with it. And then the next day um, I'm sitting with, with clients and I'm fighting to stay awake and it's yeah. totally unfair. It's totally unfair. And I don't, and I'm not in a job where I can get up and move around because I have to sit and be hyper-focused on the person in front of me. And right. it's not fair to anybody. So but hold on the consequence. So for example, most people, the pleasure of pizza is very, very high on a one-off. There's barely any consequences. Having pizza once in a while is totally, whatever is totally legit for you. You don't have it because the consequences of having pizza are catastrophic. Like yeah. in other words, who cares if I have a short-term pleasure? This thing sucks because yeah. month my life is going to suck. Now, what about for sleep? So when you don't get a good sleep, is it just one day? Yeah. It's like nothing. <laughs> you, right? I crash around four o'clock, which is also really bad timing because that's when I'm with my girls doing homework and preparing dinner. And right. It's like all these things. Nope. I can't comprehend. Wow. And so the sleep is like your almost like your guilty pleasure and there's very little consequence even though it sucks you're still tired all the, re the next day and you're not as present with your children and you're with your clients and life is not as effective for you but you you get to break the rules a little bit that's kind of what it's like yeah yeah that's so, kind of what it's like so yeah i'm clearly i'm alluding to already that there's reasons why you continue to do this one of which is it represents freedom. It's your emotional eating. It's a way to have not a completely rigid structured regimen when it comes to daily care of your body. And there's very little consequence compared to the grave consequences of eating a piece of pizza or having some ice cream or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what else is, is a reason why it's, it's still something that you're doing? So, I don't do it. I mean, listen, I don't do it that often to the point where it's, it's, it's affecting me the next day because it's not worth it. But when it happens, you know, sometimes I, I actually just find that the night is a very peaceful hour um, and people are not texting me because they assume I'm going to sleep um, or emailing. I don't have e more, any more emails to answer and my, my kids are asleep and my husband's either sleeping or he's learning um or he's or he's working in his office and um and it's it's like a very um it's it's that stillness that i think i and so many other moms i think also crave that that night stillness um where it's like 
yeah, like I, I just like, I can do whatever I want. Nobody, nobody's going to bother me. It's creative time. Like creativity comes out during that time. It's, um, it's like, it can be like self-care time when you just do your own reading and you do your own, you know, uh, you know, watching whatever you want or catching up on what's going on in the news or, you know, a lot of ideas come out at that hour of night. So then all of a sudden I'll be like brainstorming and, um, you know, blogging for the next couple of weeks. Okay. <laughs> Cause that's when all the ideas are kind of like, no, if I go to sleep, I'm going to forget all this stuff. I got to get it out now. <laughs> right. So it's the only time for you. I mean, it's the only time for me that's, yeah, that's not going to be interrupted. I, I, I do because of the you. nature of my work, I make sure to schedule in some self care time during the week, like where I'm going for a run or I'm going, you know, or I'm like, I'm going to take an hour and, and focus, hyper-focus and do and write, you know, or, you know, that's my self time, but there's always interruptions because there's always somebody that needs to make an appointment or that needs to ask me a question or, or, you know, or that's the time my mom can talk to me or, you know, or I get to see my nephew over zoom because he lives all the way in Nova Scotia. Right. <laughs> so there, there is time to do that in the day. It's just, it's less tranquil, it's less quiet, it's less um, protected um, in terms of how, how people can get in and not get in. And uh, it's, a, it's a fruitful time for you creatively and, and there's a restorative, restorative part to it that's really important. Mm -hmm. Those are some very compelling reasons to continue to go to bed really later than you want to. Now, share with me a little bit why you, you want to actually go to bed earlier. It's just so you have that energy. You have that. Yeah, I have so much energy the next day. It, it actually affects my mood, the way yeah. I start to view uh, my life and my own, my own grief that I, I deal with, with, um, you know, things that creep up on me and feeling sad and feeling resentful towards uh, having health challenges or feeling resentful for not having more children that it's very easy for that to creep up, even though I know in my mind that I, I need to be grateful and, you know, that I did everything I could. It's when you're surrounded by families, you know, it, you know, growing families and, and you're mm -hmm. not one of them. It's very, very hard. So mm -hmm. when I'm well rested and I'm, I'm feeling well and I'm focused properly, it definitely helps my mood clear head, more positive thinking. Um, and there, there totally is a science to that. Like there's to, there's totally been research done on that. Like people that struggle with depression are right. advised to get a full night's sleep because it does help improve their state. No sure. denying this. There's no denying this. I mean, you can look at Math, uh, Matthew Walker and his work on sleep, why we sleep. He was on Joe Rogan. Sleeping is not optional. People don't function well, ask some, try and connect with someone who's slept two or three hours consecutively. Um, you could be a zombie. There are rare, rare exceptions. And as Matthew Walker says, most people think they, that they happen to be the exception of, the, of a person who doesn't need a lot of sleep. It's for the most part, just not the case. It's kind of like, you know, people can function very well and think, oh, I only need five hours, four hours, but that's all they know. So once they start sleeping more, they'll start to see, whoa, so I thought that that was like optimal. It's, it's kind of like when there's a sound, like I notice now there's a little bit of a sound outside and it's going, 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 going. So you're not really thinking about it. You don't really notice it. And then when it goes off, so sometimes when there's like a AC going and making really loud noises and then it turns off, it's like, whoa, 
it was really loud and now it's quiet. Yeah. Yes. And there's good there's example. A, there's an experience right. like that with sleep where you could just the motor's always running. You don't know any differently. And then all of a sudden you get some sleep regularly and you're like, whoa, I did not function very well before. Yes. Uh, actually, so this actually just happened with um, a mentor of mine. The whole time, and I've been working with him for years, but the whole time he's always, and he works very, very hard, but the whole time he's always been, you know, tired. And, and he, I think he just figured it's because, you know, he's also a father and he's got, you know, kids at home and he, he works very hard in the, in the mental health field. And then recently uh, I was speaking with him and he's like, oh, you know, uh, and I was like, how are you feeling? Whatever. He's like, no, I'm great. I'm great. No, he's like, oh, did you know I have sleep apnea? <laughs> I was like, what? I didn't know that. He's like, yeah, well, I just found out and I got a sleep study done and I got treatment. And he's like, I feel amazing. <laughs> I didn't know I had sleep apnea and now I corrected it. And now I feel wonderful. I have so much energy. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, so sleeping is really Im important for you. It's important for everybody, but it's very important for you. You know, I have twins and one daughter, they both need their sleep, but one daughter um, in particular, when she just needs a lot of sleep. She's like her mommy. And when she doesn't get that sleep, she's, she's like a different kid. Um, and so it, my husband always joked, well, our whole family always joked that she's like, she's a little, she's a mini mommy because <laughs> when she, when she started to talk, her voice came out very squeaky. She sounded exactly like me. And then she started to run and she runs exactly like her mommy. And then when she got old enough and she started dropping her nap, it was very challenging. And, and my husband said, you know, Zizi is, you know, she's just like her mommy in every way. She can make it till the end of the day without a nap, but she's not doing very well. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and she has to learn not to nap for a while, but then you people still nap today. Napping is nice. It's very good for brain function, actually. Yeah. Yeah. But so again, you, so this is, this is on the forefront of a way for you to be less emotionally reactive, um, more present with the world around you, with your kids, with your clients, anything else immediately that is important for you that you want to do this? So I, yeah, actually, I mean, I don't, not to sound too like um, morbid or anything, but <laughs> like I look at my father who, who also ha struggles with a chronic autoimmune condition. And I just sort of see how, how important it, how important it is long-term to invest in your health, physical and mental and emotional health uh, early on and how um, kind of what you do now is, is the way you sort of set yourself up for, you know, the later years of your life. And my, my father is probably like one of the most militant people I know when it comes to to taking care of his health, which is where I think where I get it from. Um, but, but that's what, that's where I've learned is that if, if he hadn't taken care of such good care of himself when he was younger, I don't think he'd be in such good shape now at 70. He's, he still runs five miles and wow. lifts weights and he, you know, and, and eats a very clean diet and gets his sleep like, and meditates and, and he's amazing. So uh, yeah. So for me, the sleep is a lot to do with that where you know i look into the years ahead to come and i want to be able to to continue to be successful in my practice and have energy and um to be there for my family and to continue to have a lot of energy for my girls as they get older and they need to be um you know engaged more in a you know deeper discussion. i mean already they're eight and they have so many deep intellectual questions that i need yeah. to 
be present and to answer and to to find um right different ways to fulfill them you know in, in their lives and so i feel like there's a lot of people and um there's a lot that depends on me and my energy levels and i'm not going to be able to be there if i don't have my my sleep and my energy so right yeah. so it's long term it's not just short term energy short term enhancing of the relationships it's also long term it's, it's, totally. in the, it's in the long term you're thinking big picture i want to be in good health when i'm older yeah. and and this is one of the more important ways that you that you can do that is through sleep so sleep how how can you still get your alone time that tranquil time that sacred time for you and also go to bed a little bit earlier than when you have been so i don't have the ultimate solution at this point because i'm still figuring it out but so i can tell you my mother-in-law has an alarm actually that she sets um i think her alarm goes off at nine or ten um and that's her alarm where she she forces herself to stop working and mm. shuts everything down and then she begins her bedtime routine her winding down routine mm. Um, so that's one thing I could consider. <laughs> Are you able to do that? In, in other words, so right now, is there a way based on how you're living that you can actually go to bed at a still reasonable hour that's within the defined amount that you want to have and yet also have this time? So it, it, so it depends on the night because some, some evenings I'm working, right? So I don't work past nine when I say working, I mean, I'm with clients, right? right? So sometimes I'm working evenings because if m many couples cannot take time during the day, like the two of them, sure. or even just individuals, they can't, they can't come to therapy during the day. So a lot of evenings, if I'm working from, let's say six to nine or seven to nine, I've just had three intense therapy <laughs> sessions in a row. Right. No, there's no way I'm going to bed an hour later. Like, forget it. <laughs> so I need, I need me time for a while after that. So right. on those nights, I don't think it's realistic to set a 10 o'clock alarm and then start going to bed. Like, no. Right. Um, but on other nights, I think the goal, what the goal needs to be really is like get, if I can be very, um, if I can be sort of very systematic about how I get all my other wife, mom duties done, you know, and like get the dinner made, get dinner on the table by five o'clock, make sure the girls have their homework done, clean up, make sure they have their showers, have them in bed by seven mm -hmm. and lunch is made. Then I've got, <laughs> I've got a couple hours <laughs> with nobody bothering me. <laughs> I mean, yeah. on an ideal night <laughs> that, yeah. That could work, but that means no distractions, you know, you know, no answering emails, phone calls in the middle of all the other stuff. Okay, let's start forwards a bit. When do you actually want to go to bed on a regular basis, ideally? So, I mean, I would say like, ideally 10 or 10.30, but it's not, it's not happening. So let's say 11. Yeah. No later 11. than 11. Mm -hmm. Right. So 11, that means going into your bed, phones away. The lights yeah. are off. I'm going to yeah, sleep. Yeah, should be. Should be. Yeah. So 11 p.m. is the deadline. That means that even if you finish at nine and let's say you need a half an hour, 20 minutes to sort of close out the day, 
make your notes, etc. And, and now you're done at around nine, nine, yeah. Like then it's nine thirty because I'm writing yeah. notes afterwards. Yeah. So and, and sending in and sending invoices. I do all that myself. Now it's there's an hour and a half. But then also I just find then at nine thirty a lot of like um, work like work related but creative stuff is starting to come out. So blog posts are starting to. But you, <laughs> that's your time. Like to define that time for you is. Because there's, there's got to be something that it's defined as, right? Like it's, mm-hmm. you mentioned it being, whether it's blogging, whether it's watching a show, whether it's doing anything creative, like there's a, there's a moment where there's things that you shut off that represent it's your time now. So yeah. what are those things that you want to just kind of make a line 9.30 and then you enter to the new world after 9.30 and, and however long you get, or sometimes on other days will be nine, but, but when you're working 9.30. So, I mean, yeah, it can be, I guess it could be writing and blogging. It could be, um, I have a very close friend in Vegas. So a lot of times, because there's, there's a time difference, we'll be in touch, we'll start being in touch at like 10, 11, because like 11 for me is I think 10, nine or 10 for her. So sometimes it's hard to, to just go to bed because I'm so intrigued by what she's, she's telling me. Um, you know, like it's hard for me to tear myself away from her at midnight and she's still going. And I'm like, Oh God, I want to, like, I want to talk to her because I miss her. And like, that's like my, my, my personal time. But at the same time, I got to get to bed because I'm exhausted. And yeah. So that's like an internal battle. And like sometimes real unwinding and relaxing for me is just watching a really good series and folding laundry. So folding laundry, maybe doing a blog post, a, a series, talking to a friend, all these things are time, time with my husband. Like, time, yeah, let's forgot about yeah, that. Like hanging, hanging out with my husband for sure. Right. So all these things and they're going to be different every day, but there's a time of the evening where that there's a move from t- one type of being to another type for you. Yes. Yes. And so what I think makes sense is, yeah, is to choose a time to go to bed negotiating with your friend because your friend cares about you. And if your friend keeps you on the phone, you're going to be, you know, like a bit of a zombie the next day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she's, she's very understanding when I tell her I have to go, but it's sometimes it's me that just wants to, you just want to stay. I want to hear, I want to hear from her. Yeah. So what's the first steps that you think you can take today or tonight that represents this kind of go to bed earlier so I think a lot, so I think it's like a lot of sleep experts will say is like you factor in sleep into your schedule the same way you factor in right. doctor's appointments, clients, school right. pickup. So then is it, is it just that 11 PM, everything for the most part on the most average day, everything you were doing is done at 11? I, I really think that's the best way to go about it. And if that means, you know, and sometimes that can mean like, fitting in everything else earlier, like hurrying up with your receipts and your, and making lunches and, and the laundry and everything else you have to get done. Sometimes it's like, Oh, I better get this done. Like focus, 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 because I have an appointment with my pillow at 11. Right. So no matter what you could, and and are you open? Like, I mean, are you open to a couple of thoughts they have about it? Absolutely. So it's just, it's almost like one alarm and this alarm thing is so helpful. It comes up in a lot of these change talks that people utilize reminders, right? Because it's like somebody calling, telling you exactly what you need to remember. It's such a great tool um, that you don't have to remember. So it's like almost maybe at nine 30, one alarm 
kind of goes off a reminder that says like anatime or whatever that's like the, a move away from all the work that you were doing before and then the second mm -hmm. one goes off at like 11 that says bedtime and um hopefully that would mean that you sort of identified a pause from the world before to th mm. the time after work and then uh, a reminder that says like time to go to bed that's a great idea actually. yeah i hope i hope it works we mm -hmm. said one alarm at, at like around 9 nine thirty, depending on the day and then mm -hmm. one alarm at 11 that's regular yeah very cool cool so you've yeah. come up with something and if you had to sort of define the whole sum up the entire conversation in a word or a phrase or an image what, what would come to mind for you that reminds you of the change talk yes i know exactly what you mean i would say uh, mindful commitment. Mindful commitment. Mindful commitment. Mindful yes. commitment to sleep. Yes. And, and, but see the sleep is also part of such a greater commitment, right? Exactly. So thank you so much for sharing this. I think that again, sleep comes up a lot on this podcast because I think it's just something that people are struggling with. And you've given a great suggestion about just having an appointment with, with bedtime. And just like mm -hmm. you try to be at appointments on time, you try to make the effort to get to bed on time. And you've identified wanting to go to bed earlier, but it's unrealistic right now. You've chosen 11. I hope it works out. And also just thank you for sharing everything you were talking about before. And thank you for having me. It's a yeah. pleasure. Don't forget to follow us on social media to keep updated on all our content. We are at Change Talk Podcast on Instagram and Facebook and at Change Talk Pod on Twitter. Editing for this podcast is done by the lovely Atara Shields Tile. Music and theme song by Hope and Social in their album Yorkshire Electric EP with the song People Change. <laughs>